Painting in Motion. My name is Liz and I'm the host. I interview artists and I learn about their backstory and the work that they're making and what led them to it. And with each interview, the artists share a film and a work of art and it can be any medium that has stood out as something prominent in their life um and there's always some kind of overlap between the artist's work and the art that they choose to talk about and a lot of the time there's kind of unexpected connections that are made um during the recording of the podcast so it's always super fun for me to hear about just all of the different approaches that artists are taking to making their work and to responding to their environment. Um, And it's just so fun to have that experience, even over Zoom. Um, All of these interviews have been conducted long distance. of course, for COVID, but also I'm able to talk to people from anywhere. Um, The interview after this episode will be my first one abroad with someone outside of America, and I have a few planned interviews with artists from other places around the world. Um, I'm based in eastern Tennessee, and a lot of times I also interview people who are also on the East Coast or Eastern areas of places like New York City, including who our next artist is for this episode. Um, But I wanted to share a little bit about how far the show is reaching because I didn't realize until recently that there was um, a place within my hosting website, um, I use Buzzsprout, and it's really cool because I can see where the show is downloaded, and it has information about, like, what country and what city, um, but it just surprised me to see how many different places. There's close to 80 cities, there's 74 cities that it's been streamed from, and It's everywhere from, let's see, there's places closer to me like Bristol and Asheville, North Carolina. Um, There's also Göteborg in, I believe, Sweden. There's uh, Luxembourg. There's Gusenhausen in Bavaria. Uh, Wolverhampton, England. Uh, Sophia Capital, which I had to look up where that was. Um, there's just so many different places, and it's so cool. Uh, Moscow, Sao Paulo, Santiago, um, Copenhagen. So it's been really cool to see where some of the listeners are based. Um, and if you enjoy the show, and if you'd like to um, provide support in addition to listening, and listening is the most important support, um, 
but there's another way too. I made a Patreon for the podcast. Um, if you go to patreon.com slash painting in motion, um, you could also search through our Instagram. It's linked in our bio or in the show notes. Um, but it's the painting in motion Patreon. And I've got just three different tiers. So there's a monthly subscription or they can be one-time um, things that you pay. And it can be, there's a $1, $5, and $10 increments. But basically, any funding goes towards um, the hosting website like I just mentioned. Um it also goes towards the just the time that goes into um, researching and finding artists and editing the show and uploading. Um, and I'm also hoping to use the image that my friend um, Kimmy Wong created for the show. It's the painting in motion icon. And I would like to turn that into a sticker. And that would be... Um, part of the gifts that patrons would receive. And there's all kinds of different um, gifts that you would get for joining. So if you're interested in seeing um, what the trade would be, because there's there's lots of really cool stuff, I think, um, we should definitely check that out. And I'm excited about uh, this interview for this episode because... I got to talk to the artist Lauren Erdrich, and Lauren is based in New York City. Uh, she went to school in Ireland and Pennsylvania, and she's an incredibly prolific artist who is multimedia. She's worked with performance and film and with ceramics, and most predominantly, at least more recently, um, it's been paintings and creating books, um, using her paintings, and sometimes collaborating with a poet as well. Um, I love her movie pick and her art pick for what she chose as things that she loves that have influenced her. And the way that she presents her work, um, it's so vibrant and it's so emotional in its use of color and I think she does a really good job of really describing the unique process behind her work. So I hope you enjoy. Maryland, outside of Washington, D.C. Um, I was born in Boston, and then we soon moved to uh, the D.C. area. And um, I was there until I was 18, so that's where I grew up mainly. Um, and my first memory of creativity, I don't know, you know, maybe I had this babysitter who was our neighbor, and we were really close. Um, I and mean, she was older, obviously, because she's my babysitter, but we were really close. And she, I remember her, um, you know, making bubble letters 
you know, like writing my name or her name as bubble letters and, and me being like, I want to do that. You know, it's so simple, right? It's like you're a kid and you don't have the, the hand-eye coordination. Right. Um, but like really wanting to do that. Um, uh, but then I was lucky because I had uh, an uncle that would take me to museums and um, DC has so many amazing, you know, museums that are free. So he would kind of take me uh, with him right. and we would go and see these like very adult, you know, felt like very adult to go. Right. Well, I love that. Um, like the bubble letters, just mentioning that I'm picturing things like gel pens or when I totally when I remember older, yeah. like really cool, like older girls that would write like at school on their folders. Um, mm-hmm. I think that might be the first introduction to, for some people just into different types of media, as silly as that sounds. Um, mm-hmm. so that's really cool. And you work with a lot of mixed media, or at least you have, um, with using different types of pencils and lots of water media. Um, what led you to using, I believe it's mostly um, pigment and dye is what you've been sharing, at least yeah. more recently. Um, mm-hmm. What led you to using that media in particular? Um, and is there a conceptual aspect to it that has grown over time? Yeah, um, I I think like it, I got into that media through watercolor. Um, and why did I use watercolor? It was, you know, I was in school for art. Um, this is kind of, I, I kind of came a roundabout way to uh, being in school for art. You know, I didn't do a direct, like wasn't a beeline for it, but um I think that the watercolor, probably why I was drawn to it was, I used to have this like kids watercolor like thing, you know, with like the 10 colors, like the ovals, right? And like the crappy brush. And it was like, I think part of me probably used that one because it wasn't cool. You know, it was like this, like this thing, like I'm I'm doing this. And then two, because um, it was cheap. You know, it was inexpensive. Someone, I probably like came across it, like someone gave it to me. Um, but that was like, that really just started me from grad school on. And basically I never touched oils again. Like I still own them. I still have my oils from undergrad, but I've, I've never used them since. So it's all been uh, oil, um, water-based media since then. But um you know, in my current iteration of that is like this pigment and dye that I use and I mix it with water. And that happened because a few years ago, um, a friend of mine went to Morocco and she came back uh, and as a present, she gave me these like six, maybe like two inch high vials, like little jars of powdered pigment. And she was like, this one's made of flowers, this one's made of snails, flop, you know, and, and snails, by the way, wow. I did say snails, um, and like, cool. so forth. And I was, I was like, oh, whatever, like, I don't really use this kind of stuff, like, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, fast forward, like a few years later, and I became like, obsessed with them, and obsessed with like, the color and the way they interacted. Yeah. And then everything since then has kind of been, um, just different kind of paths that I've taken from those pigments, actually. 
Right. And there is, uh, there's, and I, I know there's lots of comments you get about the color, for example. Um, it's so vibrant, but it's in a way where there's lots of artists who I love who use color in a way that's powerful, but there's something about the way you elevate the color with the texture, um, the way that you use water. And I think um, in your artist statement, you talk about the importance of water for life and how it's part mm -hmm. of so many like momentous parts of our life. And I love what you wrote about um, just how like water is like an important aspect of things that happen to us and the way that we're birthed and all of these this really tremendous um, parts that happen. Um, so I see that with your images. There's a lot of tension. There's also there's just so many um, strong emotive feelings, and I think that's really important. Um, how did you find, I guess, the emotional quality that you put into your paintings? Um, did you experiment a lot, or was it something that you developed through drawing first and then translate? Or um, well, you know, so the thing about water is, you know, like on one hand, I've always like I'm a water baby. I'm like a Pisces. I've always been like loved the ocean, feel most comfortable by the water. Um, so maybe there is that part that has drawn me to it. But I think also um, I've always been like while while like for the for the ocean for example it's like I am drawn to it I love it and yet I have like a healthy fear of it right because it is powerful it is um it holds these like multitude of worlds that I have no idea about and I'm only mentioning that because like there's this dichotomy in 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 I think its presence like it has this softness it can like I don't think of the edges of the ocean as like hard lines right, right? Um, and yet, no one, you wouldn't say that it is, well, I don't know, the the opposite of powerful, weak, or um, ineffective, right? Like, it right. is it is a force. And so there was always something that, I, I feel that with any type of water, that it is, it has these kind of diffuse properties, it like blends the edges, it has a softness to it, and yet, it like, can wreak havoc on whatever paper you put in front of it, whatever canvas you put in front of it. Um, and for a while, uh, when people would ask me what my art was about, this is like getting back to what you did, your last question to me. It's, I would, I found myself only talking about the materials. Like instead of talking about the, I don't know what it, like the subjects, that I was drawing, I just kept coming back to the materials and the way the water pushed the pigment or the dye kind of crystallized at the edges as it, as it um, dried. Um, and it, what I found is that my content was actually reflected in my choice of media. So like I, what I was looking for in the way the dye interacted with the water and in the way the water kind of spread everything out was actually like content for me. Um, and, you know, how that relates to emotion. I mean, I think of emotion like that. I think of it as this like thing that I can corral and I can, you know, 
strive to kind of contain, but that it seeps out the edges and it pushes things and it, it, um, there's always that kind of push pull between like the control of it and then the, uh, I mean, I use this word a lot, but like the mayhem, you know, right. that it, um, that it affects, um, which is so much like how it is when I paint. It's like the exact kind of process of what it is when I paint. Right. And I, I like that there's a lot of aspects that you share about your work. Um, Cause I feel like at least with social media, there's not as much um, process that I see from artists that I want to. And it's a lot to ask. Cause again, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to to take the, the moment to photograph or video or capture something. But I feel like you've done a really, a really cool job of just kind of giving an idea of your work in motion, like as things are drying or as things are coming together, just in like really small details that are super important. Um, and also I noticed that you have paintings on the backs of your paintings, which is so cool too. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you about that, if, if that's something that happens, um, and you might have answered this before, but if that's something that happens after you've completed, or is it like a, a rejected painting that you flipped, or what's the culmination of those, or how they happen? Yeah, you know, um, there, it's like an organic process for sure. It, um, so I don't gesso my canvas. Um, so think of it as just like a fabric almost, like, like, you know, a piece of cotton. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's not necessarily thin, but there is transfer over. So when I'm painting things, depending on how wet, if I'm painting a surface, depending on how wet it gets, there's, a transfer of the color from the one side, the top side to the back side. Um, and I also paint on top of a backdrop, basically, like a drop cloth, that's what you would call it, um, that has the residue of paintings before, um, you know, on that. Uh, and when it all gets very wet, it all starts transferring the color from one, from the the drop cloth to the canvas from the front to the back and so forth. Then also, um, because it's not gessoed, I can do this. I will paint on both sides of the canvas as I'm going. So part of that is just like, I haven't decided what side I want. Part of it is because, um, you know, the, I mean, I call it paint, but like the paint I use, you know, looks different on one side and then it, the top side will look different than when it seeps through on the back side. And sometimes they end up liking that back side more. Um, ultimately, at some point, I will pick which side I'm going with, you know, um, and then it, then I'll kind of work on that side more and it will that side will build up and then I stretch it with that side on top. But what you get is when you flip the canvas that, um, you know, there looks like there's a painting on the back. And sometimes it's like the same. You can kind of see the ghost image of it. Um, but sometimes it's pretty different because um, uh, I went in like a totally different direction. And what looks like, I don't know, a tree on one side ends up being, um, I don't know, a leg on the other. 
right. or something. That's so know. cool. And that's that's totally not what I was expecting. And <laughs> I, I'm so glad because I guess I, and I'm a painter too. And I, I feel like you work a lot with, or a big part of your work is intuition and like a really confident, uh, I think it takes confidence to be able to do that. Um, because when I went to art school, I had a lot of wonderful instructors who were really, um, really pushing for like planning paintings before they mm -hmm. were made, where it's like the whole thing, like you know exactly what you're going to do or making an underpainting. Um, and I, I, love intu I love intuition and I feel like it can be a lot harder sometimes to work that way, but that there's something more just like more magical and even more rewarding about it. Um, so it's cool yeah. that you're having that, to have that same push and pull with both sides. Um, that wasn't what I was expecting, but I love that because I feel like you're really, your paintings are completely immersed in the process, complete to like every part of it. <laughs> so that's super cool. I mean, I think intuition is like a, you know, can be like a bad word, you know, in right. the art world. Um, and certainly in school, I agree with you. It was not, uh, I like call it like, un it was very like uncool, you know, to yeah. work intuitively. Um, but I'm a horrible planner when it comes to painting. Um, I don't, I don't like to, I don't even know if I, it's just not part of my process at all. They are not they are not planned. That doesn't mean I don't have ideas and that right. doesn't mean um, I may kind of have something I think I'm going to go for. But more often than not, what I think I'm going for um, really just serves as, you know, in a way it still is the underpainting, right? right? Um, it, it's just that that may then lead to something that is totally different. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you like you said that word magic, um, I mean, I, I, like, I can work, I can paint from a photograph, I can draw from a photograph, I have, like, there's bodies of work I have that are much tighter and are much um, kind of more specific to, uh, well, to photographs or to source material. But, you know, at some point, it loses a little bit of that magic for me. And I guess that's such an important element that I, like, want to hold on to. Um, like, I love when things happen that I'm not planning on. Right. You know? I think I totally, I agree with that. And the the artists I know of who do plan their work, I feel like, like what you're saying, it's something that if you don't do it, it's because, it should be because it's not something that feels exciting or feels right. And if it's, if it's forced, it's like, if you're rendering a photograph, you're making something that already exists. And unless you're someone who is a realist painter who has that that feeling of wanting to do that, it kind of loses like that element, like you're saying. There's like a layer that's missing. Um, so I totally you know, agree. And, you know, also it's like I feel, and maybe I don't know if other people are, are like this, but I feel like if I'm not careful, my work will get tighter and tighter and like more controlled and more controlled. Like I, it's just, it's like a thing. It's like, I, maybe it's just that, that need to control that like we innately have, or it's just as you perfect different skills, you know, you can get tighter and more realistic. And, um, you know, 
part of the materials that I use and part of the process that I use is to like put obstacles in the way so that I can't become 100% proficient in it. So that there always is this element of surprise or magic or whatever, um, because I can't tighten up completely. Right. I can see. And I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of exploration that that's in your work that feels, I don't know, when when I look at your paintings and also knowing that you make so many other types of work, so you make video and drawings, they have a very distinct, um, cohesiveness to it. And I think the strength comes from the amount of time that you seem to put into it. And then knowing that you put obstacles, I feel like that there's like that element of, of purpose is still there. So I think when, mm-hmm. like when art schools talk about intuition as a negative thing, they're ignoring the fact that there's complete purpose and there's still symbolism. And like you're saying, there's still imagery that you're working with. Um, and those are all giant factors too. Um, I like to ask about the imagery because you do a mixture of um, things that are representational, like there will be objects or people. Um, and I was wondering what kind of leads the direction to what you paint as far as imagery goes and how has it changed over the past year with COVID? Um, has there been a change in what you've painted or the way you've approached the imagery? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I hadn't really thought of like how it had changed over, over this past year with COVID. I've thought about like my process changing, but the imagery, I think like, you know, I, um, like I said, I, you know, I've done bodies of work where I'm, I'm really looking at source material. Um, now what it is currently is that it's almost like I have a roster of, of imagery that I can pull from. Um, and so it's not, it's almost like a, there's like a grab bag of imagery, you know, and, and what, where do I get that imagery? I mean, a lot of it is found on the internet, like vernacular photography. So just like, you know, amateur photography that somebody's taken that ends up in, you know, like an old photo. Um, I love those accounts on, um, on Instagram, but it could be on Flickr or whatever of like old photos that people have found, you know, right. and then I'll, I'll like see a hand, you know, there's like this weird hand and I'm like, oh, that hand is cool. Like I want that hand or, oh, those trees are interesting, like how they line up or something like that. And I'll screenshot the image and I keep it, um, you know, in this folder on my phone. Um, so I am still using source imagery. But now there's this whole, there's kind of a more, um, I allow whatever else happens to happen. Um, and then whatever else is just that, I don't know, what happens in my brain? You know, what happens, what happens on the canvas when I see like, oh, I'm starting to see a figure. Okay, you know, let's go with that and see what, you know, or that looks like a flower. Um, you know, in... Over the past year, I think, you know, maybe maybe there's a bit more depth in there. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I've always kind of been 
I've always been a little dark, so, you know, maybe it's not, maybe that's not so new, but I think I, I think in general, I'm thinking about it more, you know, we're all faced with it more. It's like part of our day to day now in ways that it was in ways that we were able to ignore before. Um, so I think I'm like, uh, I find that it's a bit, that it is cropping up more in my imagery. I mean, maybe only I know that, or maybe you only know it by a title, or maybe, you know, whatever it is, but I think it's more present. Right. Um, and, and then, and, you know, and it's funny because, you know, at times my work has been, uh, there's a lot more sexual imagery or bodies and so forth. And I feel like those are kind of as, it's, um, it's like the metaphysical has grown and the physical has, has been kind of decreasing over this time. Right. Um, who knows why? Maybe I need something more than just the physical plane right now. You know? I, I'm glad you brought up um, like the bodies that you paint. There, there's something about the, the way the color is placed, like the placement within the compositions, there's a lot of like temperature that I think of. Um, Cause I feel like the hands that I've seen, or if you're seeing like a torso, that there's like this kind of like po- almost pulsating use of color that I really love. Um, and there's an intensity that again, it's it's something that kind of this, this kind of washes over the more that you look at it because the color is vibrant, but it's very particular with how it's used. Um, and I guess I'll go ahead and bring up um, one of your picks. Um, I love your film pick. And there's <laughs> a lot of um, like sensory that I think of with that movie. Um, but could you share the film that you chose to talk about and maybe just some reasons why it stands out to you? Yeah, um, so I chose Spirited Away, um, Miyazaki's Spirited Away, and um, that was, I hadn't, I hadn't watched that movie in a few years, actually, but there was a period of my life where I was, you know, I've watched it, I don't know, 20 times, maybe. Um, It, what I like is that there's, for anyone that doesn't know, I guess, the, what the movie is, it, it's all animated um, by a Japanese filmmaker, and it's about this family that um, kind of accidentally stumbles into like the spirit world. But the spirit world exists on the same uh, in the same like physical realm as the I don't know the physical world. It's just that it's unseen. To, to normal life. Um, and then all this stuff happens. Um, and and the, the main character is this little girl who kind of gets get to be the hero of it. And I think why I was always drawn to it is that I l- have always loved and believed that there is so much more happening than I can see. I mean, it's almost like I need to believe that. I need to believe that there is more than, you know, this table and this body and this chair. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's part of, like, 
I don't know. I don't, I mean, I'm not a scholar of it in any way, but I think that's part of, uh, more part of Japanese life than it is, uh, in our culture. You know, they have the little like, uh, spirit houses and the little shrines, you know, everything like that. I mean, the movie starts where this little, the little girls, like they're driving in a car and she sees these kind of small, like, you know, I imagine they're like four inch tall or six yeah. inch tall, little, little stone houses. And she's like, what's that? And the mom's like, oh, those are little, I don't know, spirit houses or something. And it's like, those exist. So that, you know, those exist there. And we don't, I don't think we in our culture um, have a lot of that here. Right. Uh, but in my head, I do. You know, in my head, that happens. I wouldn't say I'm a particularly, um, I don't know, like it's not that I exist in this other world, but I want, I want the possibility for it to exist. Like I need the possibility. Right. that there is more happening than um, I can see. And that's what this movie is about. Yeah. Uh, you know. And the, just thinking back with the way you're talking about how you source imagery, it, it almost reminds me of um, like collage yeah. art. Like you're kind of collaging from different things that, that like appear and just kind of feel more interesting to you. And the, like the fact that you would... Um, find like a hand that stands out in the photograph and if if someone else looked at it it would be something else or nothing um mm -hmm. so i feel like that kind of blends into the that that cultural belief that that japan has i know um in iceland they have that too where it's just kind yeah. of integrated where there's these folk tales but they're shared like they're not fairy tales instead it's their folk tales because it's part of their life and their heritage almost. Totally. And I think mm -hmm. that's so cool. And there's a way that there's something about, I guess, being an artist where you can integrate that maybe more easily because you're making things kind of out of nothing. I mean, you're, you're sourcing things, but you're still making something that hasn't existed. And so I think that's a really cool way to describe it. How you, how you did with the movie that, it's integrated and it's just kind of, it, it brings that possibility, like you said. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and there's something, when I think of that movie, I think of like food, like there's a lot of yeah. sensory with food. <laughs> and again, the color is important. Um, I always love the music. There's always like a sweetness, maybe more so with the music and with like the lead characters, because it's like adolescent or younger than adolescent. But there's always a lot of darkness too. Um, and so I think that's another thing that maybe ties with your work is the more you look at it, just like the more symbolism with all kinds of different, um, types of imagery come out, including darker ones. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because like she's, you know, she, the character is like going through these, it could have been a scarier movie, right? Like that premise could be a, could be a scarier movie. But instead, it's humorous at times. Um, it's sweet, like you said. I mean, the darkness, like, is can be sweet, right? I mean, it's all these things, right? And it's scary, you know. Her, like, what happens to her parents is scary. Um, that the weird, like, uh, flying bird person is. 
scared me. I think about like showing that to my nephew or something like that. I'm like, I don't know, that's a little bit scary, (laughs) but, but it's also not, you know, it's also just like part. um, It's like, I feel like what that movie does and maybe what other cultures are more able to successfully do is that it's, there's not a judgment passed on darkness. It's not like this is bad and this is good. It just is. So yes, there is darkness and yes, there is um, scariness and there is also sweetness and there is also funniness. You know, there's not, it's not such a, a moral judgment of like, this is bad and this is good. I don't know if that makes sense, but right. you know. Yeah, no, I think, I think I see that too. Like, cause that is something that we see a lot with our culture mentioning like judgment and instead we're not we're not looking at each other's experiences or at least we're not, we're not in a place where we're able to do that because we don't have that that i guess that cultural um difference where we're able to kind of integrate um whether it's in our stories or in the way that we live day-to-day life there's so many things that are hidden on purpose that are just like mm-hmm. things that like kids will ask and bring up that like some adults are still going to feel shame about and i feel like that's it's getting more and more uncovered luckily but it's interesting because it's still so present in everyday life all like the hidden aspects that we have of like things like death just being scary or like disability being scary and it's like Mm -hmm. this affects everybody like everyone has a body and everyone is going to eventually not exist at least not in the physical form and that that's just what everyone goes through so I think that's really cool yeah you know also um I was in in 2018 I uh did a residency in Wyoming and um there there's all this land uh, so there's like the residency house and your studio and then there's a thousand acres of land that you are welcome to walk around in, basically. And it's these kind of like rolling foothills. And it's all very low scrub brush. So at least I didn't feel I was in a lot of danger of getting lost or anything like that. You can kind of always see, have a, you know, if you're paying attention, you kind of know where you're going, basically. You're not going to like end up, I don't know, miles away and not be able to get back. But I bring it up because it's Wyoming there are bones of animals everywhere, right? This is like, it's just land. I mean, it's cattle land, it's ranching, you know? Um, So there's, and there's antelope running everywhere and there's, you know, it's amazing, right? There's antelope this year. Um, And then there's bones uh, because animals die or animals get eaten um, or both, right? Um, And so I would be walking around and, uh, like every day around like four, I would leave the studio and I would just start walking around. I'd walk for like hours. It was, it was wonderful. And, um, but I'd come across these bones and some of them are, you know, the white kind of the white bones that like you can picture because you've seen them in images or whatever. Um, but some of them were not, uh, totally sun bleached yet, right? Like the, the death had been more recent. Um, or you'd come across a deer that, you know, was, um, had gotten tangled in a barbed wire or something like that. And, um, 
I, I felt like during that period of time being there, I was faced, I mean, this was before COVID and everything, but I was faced with death more than I had been in my normal life. Um, and that I began to see it because of where I was, that it wasn't this, it just was, right? It was just part of like this natural process of life that was happening in this like harsh climate. Um, and, and it, um, yeah, like it just, it just was this thing that didn't have to have this, uh, like negative connotation or didn't have to be hidden, right? It was impossible to hide it. It was everywhere. And so that, that really kind of, that really inspired me. Um, I really found that very moving about how like life and death existed on the same surface of the earth and the, you know, and of, of, and they began to really exist in my artwork as well. Like, um, death and life, like coinciding. Right. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I could see that there's, I don't know. There's something about if you're, if you're like immersed in it and I'm guessing that maybe that, that might've been an unexpected element at your residency. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think to have that, be an occurrence where it's not even something you're going to expect and it's just there to immerse you in. That sounds something, it sounds like something that would just be really strange at first, but also just really wonderful, like you're saying, because mm-hmm. you're just kind of, you're literally walking through it and you get used to it to some degree in a good way. So, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, that, that leads me to what you picked for um, your visual art pick, <laughs> which is, I thought was also really cool. Um, yeah. So what, what would, would you like to share about um, the Goya War series, which I believe yeah. there are over 80 of these, like etchings and prints. Mm-hmm. So um, what is it about this series? And I'm, I'm glad that you picked this series too. Um, but what made you pick this and how has it possibly maybe influenced your work or just something that you like about it? Yeah. Um... Uh, what is the series called? Now I'm like, um, kind of, so the something of war. Um, I had to look it up. I've seen the disasters of war. Oh, the disasters of war. I forgot. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a series of, uh, etchings and aquatints and, um, they are, they're amazing. I mean, they're, they are like truly stunning to me. Um, and what I like about them is that there's, I mean, there, there's this perverse, these like perverse quality, this perverse quality to them. So it's like talking about war and the war's effect on the individual, right? Like instead of the bravado of war of like, we are going to conquer, you know, it's like, how does this affect the individual, the people? Um, and and he, um, you know, he's just his style of working. There's, there's, you know, enlarged heads and bodies and people eating each other. And, um, you know, it's dark and yet it's, you know, it's, uh, it's not funny. I wouldn't say it was funny, but there's something, it's, you know, it's satire, right? There's like this satirical quality to it. So there's, 
there is something like twisted and dark and yet a little comical sometimes in how he renders it. And it's also sad and poignant and so moving, right? It's like all these things. Like I love how it is, like gets to hold all these different feelings like in one. That's probably what drew me to it to begin with, like that it can hold all these different qualities um, in these one image. And then also when I was in grad school, we were in London because I went to grad school overseas and um, I think we were in London at uh, White Column and there was the, I don't know if you have, I don't know if you, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, the Chapman brothers did yes. a series where they drew on the etching. So they That's purchased, right. they purchased the actual, etch, you know, a, a, um, sorry, my phone is ringing. Um, they purchased a actual series of these etchings and then they drew on them and they drew smiley. They almost like they drew over the faces. They drew smiley faces or they added, um, they added parts to I these. I forgot about that. Yeah. And that, that like knocked me knocked me off my feet like I was I didn't know that you could do that um I mean it I don't know I mean it's hard to explain like it's really but, wild too because didn't they use something like white out or like acrylic like something completely different yeah 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 it looks like they drew on it you know right it looks like they painted on it like, it doesn't look like it's part of it. Yeah. Um, it, I don't know. It, I found it, I found it really inspiring um, because what it did was it made it, uh, it brought it into the, into today. You know, they weren't making fun of it in any way, um, or at least that's not what I took from it. I didn't take also that they were, um, uh, poking fun at this like hardship that you know people had gone through in the past or anything. I think that what they were doing was bringing it to like the present day, and they were using this same kind of like um, I don't know perverse and like twisted imagery, but of of, of like of how we do it today. Um, but then it was so sacrilegious to like you know draw on these gorgeous prints. I mean, it was I don't know, it was crazy. But uh, but it was so crazy to me that I still think about it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I have a book from that exhibition, and I have a book of Goya's prints, you know. Um, and they're both. I'm probably Goya the prints, and Goya's uh, I think is more important to me. But um, but that's what the Tatman brothers did was also important, you know. Right. Um. And there's yeah. a there's a couple. I don't think it's from that series in particular, but there's there's a museum um, where I live. I live in Eastern Tennessee, and we mm -hmm. have a a small but really really cool museum called the Reese. And they have a couple of Goya Aquatints that's part of their permanent collection. It's that was my first time seeing Goya's work as far as not his paintings, but the, his printmaking work. And they're also, they're super intimate. So I think like 
the like the satirical parts for me they were unexpected at first because there's so much detail mm-hmm. and there's so much attention to the composition and the ones that we have here like they're fairly small and they're aqua tints and they're they're masterful and then when mm-hmm. you see like you were saying, like the the approach to the figure, the the imagery that he chose, that there is like this kind of wildness to it that's really cool. So I can only imagine. I've never seen the Chapman brothers work in person, but I remember learning about that mm-hmm. in art history. So I think that's cool that you have the books and that. Yeah. I, yeah, I was reading so um, right like before this. Uh, before we talked, I was like, oh, I should, I should look up something about this disasters were if we're going to be talking about this. But, um, uh, and one of the things I read was that, um, I mean, who knows, who knows if this is just conjecture that there's some evidence of this. I think it's, I think it's just an interpretation. So an art historian's interpretation, but, um, Goya, you know, Essentially, it's like, why, so why move towards, um, I feel like you just put it really well, but why move towards this, this wildness of the figure, right? Like, why not just depict it very realistically? I mean, war is horrific. Like, why not just depict it like it is, you know? Um, And what I, what this art historian was saying is that it's almost like Goya, um, turned the volume up enough so that like all the times we want to look away like so we like couldn't look away so that like the people that didn't want to see would actually see um, uh, and I like that I like that idea of like I mean I, it's like volume and seeing are kind of <laughs> two different like realms but um, but I think you know what I mean. It's like, you know, we turn, turning the volume up, like getting your imagery, uh, you know, loud, even if it doesn't have to be, it can be a quiet type of loud, but like loud enough that like you're depicting, you're making people see what normally people would choose not to see, right. you know, or not be able to see. Um, and that makes sense when I think about my own work as well. You know, I can I can feel that that is something that I is important to me too, even though it's not loud necessarily. And um, I think too, like with with the way that life is, the way life is for us right now, with the pandemic and with everything happening politically, there's all there's all these like these scary things happening, and then there's still like. Of course, other real life things happening too, and like I think of the like the music that I've discovered. Like I've been listening to like more like dance music or like friends joining TikTok. Like there's all these like moments of levity within all of these kind of more horrific events, mm-hmm. and that's just kind of like what real life is. So I think mm-hmm. having that mixture is really interesting, and it's it's needed, but also just how things are because I feel like when I see painters or just any artists that depict war and if it's only serious, they're not getting the whole picture. So I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in revisiting in more detail, the Goya images. Cause I, I really like the mixture of emotions he has. Um, yeah. I don't know. And well, I just wanted, I just wanted to say real quick, like, 
you know, you, you were kind of brought up like the color, right? How the color kind of in my work kind of vibrates at times. I feel like in a way that's like when I, when I choose to put, you know, a more fluorescent kind of color in, it's almost like that idea of like turning the volume up there, like beyond what it would be in real life, but that it like, um, you know, to direct, to direct the view and get the kind of emotional impact that I, that you may not get otherwise, maybe. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's unexpected, but also you're, you're reflecting again, just like the way things are. Like there's so many things that we can't predict too. And so I think that goes back to like, like embracing and like, like being welcoming to things that happen and embracing that intuitiveness again too yeah I mean it's gonna happen you know I feel like I can try to control uh everything but life's still gonna happen you know I mean this year right like we've all learned that it's like all our plans right I was gonna go um to Morocco to get more pigments Oh, cool. I mean, I've never been, so it was, you know, I was so excited. I was going to go and I was going to see all these colors and have this trip. And, you know, and now, and now we can't um, for now. And that is, that is just, and that's just like, that's an easy thing that happened, right? That's like a negative but easy thing. Like, oh, you didn't get to go to Morocco. Oh, well, right? But, and then there's all the hard hardship you know losing people and oh my god this year right you've you experienced it as well I mean it was it's a there's a doozy right this 2020 early 21 I mean it's it's been really hard um and so it's like life life is happening whether I like it or not and like you said it's like our we have all these big things that are happening and then there's still, it's like, Oh, still I need to vacuum the rug. Um, or I should probably clean the bathroom or write these emails or do whatever. And it's like, how do we kind of make space for both of those? Like the big, big, big questions and the big feelings. And then also the, um, the little ones, you know? And I think, I think as an artist, it's it's important to well, just by making work, it's it's a reflection of what's happening, even when it's not conscious as the work is being made. Um, but I wanted to ask you one last thing about um, one of your publications, because I, I didn't realize till recently that you've done a lot of amazing collaborations with poets, which I think is so cool. And your most recent one, I think it just came out, and it's about isolation. And it's titled yeah. Isolation. And I know you've been published, and I think this one might be like a self-published like it art is. book. Mm-hmm. But what is what is the book like, and how can people find it, or is it available still? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have actually – I mainly collaborate with one – person, one poet. Um, her name is Sierra Nelson, and um, she lives in Seattle now. Um, and so we, back in 2000, I think it was published in 2012 or 13, we did a book together. And um, it's kind of a take on a choose your own adventure story. 
um, but it poetry and drawings um, and uh, and it was published by Rose Metal Press and I to me that book exists mainly in the world of writing and publishing um, and poetry um, and so I wanted to make it, what I thought of making another book, I wanted to make a book that existed in the art world um, and that I thought of as an art object. But um, what it contains is, you know, like we all felt in March when things, you know, stuff started uh, hitting the fan, you know, it was like, I don't know what's happening. We're all terrified. I mean, I remember that so viscerally being just like, I don't know what is happening. And, you know, I'd come to my studio every day and, um, uh, and this is right in the beginning before things had shut down. And I, I started taking, creating like a little like go to go bag of like art supplies. Like, what if I can't make it back to my studio? You know, it was like, you just didn't know. Um, and that to go bag contained colored pencils and these watercolor crayons and paper. Um, and I, it ended up that I could come to my studio. I was on a bike, so I could kind of still make it to my, to my studio without seeing anyone and interacting. But I, um, I started these, the series of drawings, uh, which I started to call isolation drawings. And when I made them, I, when I started them, I wasn't thinking about this book. I wasn't thinking about any type of finished project. I really honestly like didn't even think, I didn't even care if people liked them. It was like a, because there was so much going on in the outside. I was it, in our world outside. I was, it was almost like therapy. Like I was just like, I'm just going to draw. Right. I'm going to draw these things. I'm going to scribble and I'm going to like not care, you know? Um, and so I just started drawing and and then it went on, right, for like months and months and months mm -hmm. of, of like of this thing that we're all experiencing. Um, and then it turned out that, you know, because I was posting these images online, it turned out that people did like them and that people were interacting with them. Um, and at some point, I, you know, as the month went on, I was like, you know, these would actually make a good book because they're all like a similar format and um, and obviously a series. And so I contacted Sierra, who is um, whom is one of my best friends and I love working with her. Uh, and we've collaborated on other things that haven't been books in the intervening years. Um, but, but I asked her if she would uh, contribute some text to this. Um, so she, this is a long answer to your to oh, your question, but cool. so she she, um, she had basically snippets of text from notebooks um, uh, over the period of the same period, so over like March to June or whatever it was, um, and so she sent me all those snippets, and then I paired them with drawings, and we talked about it, and we worked together to kind of create this flow through through this book. So what they are is they're, um, it's isolation drawings paired with uh, kind of mini poems um, or phrases or, or text that she gave me. And, um, and yeah, so I published it myself 
I mean, not literally, but I, uh, you know, put it together. I edited it. I gave it to a printer and I spent a lot, I put a lot of attention into how the book was going to be printed. Um, cause the drawings themselves are very, very colorful and there's a big range of color in them. And I really wanted the colors to be like spot on. Um, so that took a lot, that took way more time actually. I than wanted I, to ask, what yeah. was that? What was that like, like with photographing or did you scan them? I feel like scanners are so hard to work with, but they look just from when you've like flipped through it on Instagram, it looks really amazing. Like it's translated really well. It's, so I actually ended up um, hiring out like somebody to scan them and color match because I, I, I know Photoshop to, you know, to an extent that it works really well for me and like photographing images and Kind of getting them up on my website and so forth but with printing you know i didn't want any like blown out areas where the paper's white in this area and like yellowy on that end i wanted as much as possible to have the fluorescent pencils or the the gradations of color um so that was actually my biggest expense was that like that company um that was like a local new york company that that took the images, you know, took the drawings for me, scanned them, spent the time to color match. Um, that costs more than the actual printing, to tell you the truth. Um, but I'm so, I don't think for me, well, I just wouldn't, I couldn't have done it any other way because the book, um, to me, like that whole period of time is tied up in the process of making those drawings. I mean, I don't know if we think of drawing as a very like physical process, but it, because uh, I was using these watercolor crayons, um, I would like build up surfaces and then kind of carve back into them and erase into them. So it was very much like a physical process. And I really wanted to make sure that all the details and all the, you know, just everything was kind of translated into the actual book. Um, which I think it does. I was yeah. very happy with it. Um, a uh, publisher in Troy, New York printed it for me. Um, and I was really happy with it. And now it is available um, on my website. There is a link to it. Um, and it is also available at a small bookstore in Seattle. Um, if you want to support a local bookstore instead. Um, not local to me, but local to Sierra. Um, yeah, That's it was cool. great. It's a lot of work, a lot of work to make a, a little book. Right. It, when I saw that it was in color, which again, there's no question with your work, it would have to be, um, it, it looks, it looks so cool. Just from the glimpse, I'm just like, wait, like those are the paintings and it, it, it's really cool to see, like you say, the gradation and the detail. So I can imagine it being the the most important aspect of completing it. So yeah, I wanted it. You know, I think it has like twenty four drawings in it total, um, and they're all um, I forget the actual size of the book, but maybe it's like ten by twelve or nine by twelve or something like that. And I wanted it to seem like you got twenty four prints, you know, of 
like that are yours or just happen to be bound in this book form. Um, yeah, it's, it's really nice. And so I did a limited edition run of it, um, which is signed and limited and numbered. Um, and then there's also like a less expensive version also available. That's cool. And I, I like the cover. It looks, is the cover like a screen print or it's like embossed? Or is, there's something about it that's really cool too. It is a rubber stamp. So okay. I had a rubber stamp, a large rubber stamp made um, of uh, the word isolation. Yeah. So each one is like rubber stamped. That's cool. Um, yeah. It's nice because it's this object, you know, which is what I wanted. I wanted it to be not just be not just a record of what had happened but also to itself be an object that um that was you know aesthetically pleasing in its own right right and i think knowing that it's that's limited and it, it makes me think of um like zines there was a lot more of an elevated version of that or like an art book but some of my favorite books are the ones where they have like a strange um, bounding to it, or there's mm -hmm. like full color plate paintings that are like removable, and those are the coolest books. So I think that's yeah. really neat. Well, cool. Well, I'll definitely I'll link to your website and and your Instagram too. I think it's so cool. It just it's it's such an interesting peek into your studio. And there's so many, there's so many images to look at to for people to feel inspired by. So I'm really thank grateful you. to get to talk to you. So thank, thank you so much, Liz. Me too. Thanks. Yeah. Thank and you. I hope you have a good rest of your week. And thank you again. Okay. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye.